0: Today on Peck Report, how should we be thinking about conspiracies as Christians? We have a very fun, delightful, and informative conversation with a good friend, Doug Van Dorn, coming right up. Everybody, hope you are doing well today. Well, we got a uh, we got a very special episode now. I know we've been talking a lot on Peck Report about uh, conspiracies, just how we should handle it as Christians, and I, I think we have a really good example of of how much fun uh, and interesting and informative a good conspiratorial conversation uh, can actually be between two Christians. You know, it doesn't have to be all of this uh, hate-filled, anger stuff that you find online. And you can actually get more uh, information out of it with with, with some humility, some joy, some peace. I mean, if we're talking about the truth— the truth should set us free, right? I mean that that should be an enjoyable experience. Uh, so today we have on uh, my very good friend Doug Van Dorn, and some of you might not know who he is. Doug Van Dorn has pastored the has pastored the Reformed Baptist Church of Northern Colorado since 2001. He graduated uh, from Bethel College in 1992, majoring in marketing and minoring in Bible. He was a youth pastor for four years in Denver. He holds a Master of Divinity degree from Denver Seminary in 2001. Uh, He served on councils and boards for two Baptist associations, the current one which he helped found in 2016, the Reformed Baptist Network seeks to glorify God through fellowship and cooperation in fulfilling the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. There are currently 42 churches in this International Association of Churches. Uh, Doug has co-hosted the radio show Journey's End, the Paranormal podcast. Uh, if you're familiar with Dr. Michael Heiser, you'll be familiar, familiar with Paranormal. Um, He started the Waters of Creation Publishing Company, owned two small businesses in Minneapolis, and has appeared on numerous podcasts and radio shows. He's been married since 1994. He and Janelle are the proud parents of four beautiful young girls. Born and raised in Colorado, he has climbed all 54 of Colorado's 14,000-foot mountains and also Mount Rainier in Washington and Mount Shasta in California. Today, we are going to be talking with him uh, about one of his books. And as you can see here on his Amazon page, he has quite a few to choose from. Uh, most most people are probably familiar with Giant Sons of God, uh, which is an excellent book. Really, all of these are great. But I mean, he's talked about there's Christ in the Old Testament, there's Five Solas, Covenant Theology, uh, Waters of Creation. If you go to, if you just search his name, Douglas Van Dorn, here on Amazon, you'll find it. Today, we are going to be talking about this one here. Conspiracy theory, a Christian evaluation of a taboo subject. Uh, Here's the description in case you want to know a little bit more before the interview. Uh, It says, These days when you throw conspiracy theory at someone... It's for one purpose, to be a thought stopper and a discussion killer. But having this discussion grows more important by the day. People are uh, engaging in conspiracy theories, whether some want to admit it or not. Frankly, it's a discussion that needs to happen. This book is not about specific conspiracies, but rather is a serious look at the phrase from a uh, definitional historical biblical, and Christian point of view. The main goal is to come to some helpful conclusions on how a Christian can remain sane in a world of conspiracy theories, and we'll have some fun along the way. And absolutely, we have... um, We have a very fun, uh, very fun and informative conversation uh, with Douglas Van Dorn, author of Conspiracy Theory. Uh, So uh, there's actually two parts. One is going to be for everybody. One's going to be for members only. So here is part one of our conversation with Douglas Van Dorn. Watch this. Doug Van Dorn, it's great to see you, brother. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Josh.
0: Thanks. Well, I really appreciate you making the time for this. I know uh, for the audience they don 't know this, but this was pretty much last minute i I uh, heard about a week ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago that uh, through a post of yours on Facebook that you came out with a new book and I saw the uh, saw the cover I love this subject and this is something that i 've been dealing with a lot on Peck Report, really just what our uh, attraction is. To conspiracy theories especially as christians because you you would tend to think christians would be a little bit more skeptical about this but we're so not and you know i think there's a lot of underlying issues here um and it's not even discounting that you know weird things happen of course strange things happen but uh there i think especially in our kind of fringe christian thing here sometimes christians find themselves on on one end or, or another either they deny everything and they're they're just completely skeptical unwilling to look into anything at all or which I think this might even be worse they go totally off the cliff and they accept everything they're being told no matter how crazy it is and uh, they don't do a lot of research into it beyond just seeing you know a headline or seeing some youtube videos from random people K- kind of like what what people are watching right now in this interview uh, so i love <laughs> I love the topic of this book and I'm excited to get into it. Uh before we do though, some people out there might not be familiar with you or your work. Can you uh introduce yourself and uh uh kind of tell people who you are, what what you're involved in, uh what what you do today in in Christianity and all all that stuff.
1: Yeah, sure. I've been a pastor uh I live in Colorado, I've been a pastor in kind of the north Denver Boulder area for about uh 18 years now. Started a Reformed Baptist Church. We call it um and that's going just fine. And uh, for whatever reason, I started writing books, mostly to kind of get my uh, own head wrapped around the different topics that I've written about. So I've written about baptism and uh, various points of theology and and uh, kind of the big one that maybe some of your folks have read is on Giants. Um, and then uh, for whatever reason, this book on conspiracy theories, I've been wanting to write this for a long time, and it just hasn't come out. <laughs> and The last month, it came out <laughs> really fast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And and then, yeah, for uh, people looking for the book, it's called Conspiracy Theory, A Christian Evaluation of a Taboo Subject. Um, before we get started, if people want to go and pick up the book right now, uh, where where can they go? What's your website? How can people find you online?
1: Uh, I'll try and get the uh, my website up. It's just DougVandorn.com, and it'll have links to uh, Amazon, which is where I go through. Uh, you can find the Kindle on Amazon really easy right now, and by the time this airs, you should be able to find the paperback, too. It's up, but they haven't linked them together yet, so kind of hard to find it.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, yeah, people should definitely check that out. So uh, let's get into it. What what originally started this and, and kind of where are you coming from? Because the the title is just conspiracy theory, although I, I did notice it has a Q in there, which I'm sure we'll get <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into. But what what kind of what gave you the idea for this book? What made you want to uh, write this? Tell t- tell us the story on how you got started here.
1: Um. So. I don't know five years after 9-11 i was talking to a pastor very straight laced guy and i said man i really like the way bush handled you know the whole 9-11 thing and he goes you're kidding right I said, what do you mean he goes i I think he probably said something like he took down the towers man and like i had never heard anything like that at all in my life and so i'm not going to say either way what i think about 9-11 or whatever that's not the point of the book but i will say that like that kind of led to some seeds. So as soon as he said that, my mind went back to the, I mean, the day that that thing happened and watching those buildings fall live, right? I said to myself, they just demoed those buildings. When I was, uh, I think I was 14 years old, they they knocked down a 12 story um, old hotel in, in downtown Denver. And I got a, a front row seat to the thing. And that memory came back to my mind. And so then I'm like, man, they demoed those buildings, and then almost immediately, the government started telling us two things. This was not a demo, right? This was this was an attack. And then Bush said something like, "We will not tolerate anyone who talks about conspiracy theories with 9/11." So, like, that's that, that's kind of the start of it. And then when I started writing the Giants book, um. I quickly started entering into the world of conspiracies, like that whole Nephilim thing. It's conspiracies everywhere when you get into the right, you know, groups of people. So especially the Smithsonian conspiracy that they've taken all the bones and that's why we don't have them. And I mean, guys, but guys are making a good living off of that conspiracy. So it's like everywhere I go, there's conspiracies. Plus, I like things like the X Files and and uh, In Search of and you know all those kinds of things. So I, I just wanted to write a book on on how how a Christian should think about conspiracies, like is there any kind of biblical things we can think about? Are there conspiracies in the Bible? Um, you know, and then kind of looking at some of the cultural aspects of the of the phenomenon, the phrase and those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, definitely. So when we talk about conspiracies, especially from a biblical uh, standpoint, what, what exactly are we talking about? I think people kind of have a general idea of what a conspiracy is, but obviously there's a lot more packed into that word than I think most people, especially from a biblical context. So what, what are we talking about when we say conspiracy?
1: So all a conspiracy is is a, is a plot to do something against somebody else, just a conspiracy. So you have a little conspiracy uh, you can have a conspiracy in your family. Your mom likes your older brother instead of you, and you think it's a conspiracy theory you create in your head, right? So you start creating a um, a framework of which, with which to try and make sense of what you think is the conspiracy that they have. So you can have it on a small level, and then, and of course, you can have it on a big level. And as society has gotten more global and universal and technology and internet and all these kinds of things, um, kind of the the idea of a big conspiracy has really come into the the mainstream of thinking probably within the last 100 years or so i would guess
0: yeah definitely and i mean there there's a rich history of conspiracies too that you write about uh in in the book what are some what are some examples that you detail in the book
1: um go back, you can go back to uh if you just want to talk kind of secular conspiracies you can go back to nero and the fire of rome so right. Really interesting story. I mean, all of a sudden it's 60, I think 66, 67 AD, and Rome breaks out in a huge fire. And almost immediately the people started saying that Nero was responsible for it because he had these grandiose plans to create this massive palace in the city of Rome, but there was no space for it. And all of a sudden the city burns down, and guess what? There's all sorts of space for it. So conspiracies were flying everywhere. Nero was not a good guy. And um, in return of that, Nero created the conspiracy that it was really the Christians that started the fire. And then he used this to start persecuting the Christians in like some of the worst ways you could ever imagine. So you can go all the way back to that. Um, there's a conspiracy theory that that is a, a known uh, conspiracy Theory from a king in Sweden uh, against the Russians that he like uh, wanted to go to war with Russia so bad that he um, created Russian Cossack uniforms and had his own soldiers dress up in them and then attack one of his own uh, cities and killed a few people and then try to justify this as we're being attacked and we want to go to war. So those kinds of things happen on a fairly regular basis, especially when wars involved. Uh, don't be surprised to see conspiracies. Probably, probably, probably my most interesting one to me. Uh, and I don't go any later than than this because I didn't want to get into in a you know the JFK and the 9/11. I didn't want to go there in the book. But Pearl Harbor, like Pearl Harbor, is an interesting um, kind of false flag. But it wasn't like what norm people normally think of a false flag where uh, we did it to ourselves. It was more like what happened was. Um, The government had cracked the the Japanese codes a year before Pearl Harbor happened, and they knew that there was going to be an attack. They knew within a week of when the attack was going to be, and what they did is they just decided, we're not going to tell the main uh, guys in the Navy over in Pearl Harbor that it's coming, because what they needed was a justification to get into the World War. Like That was what and the American people were totally against it. And guess what? The day that we're attacked, all of a sudden, instantly, all of America says we're going to war.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's it's insane to look back on this stuff and, like, know that that conspiracies have happened. And that, you know, that leads us to wonder, you know, if they're happening today. Most likely, there probably are. But then, you know, it also makes you wonder, too, well, how much information is available right now for us to really deduce what conspiracies are happening and which ones are just kind of like made up and stuff. And, and especially from a Christian standpoint, because, you know, we're, we as Christians, we're supposed to, you know, really love the truth. We, we want the truth. That's, that should be like one of our main focuses is just getting at the truth uh, of a matter. Uh, so that in light of like conspiracies and things like that, um, from a theological standpoint, does the Bible address how Christians should look at, uh, conspiracies, or or should deal with them, or even if we should deal with them at all, is is there a biblical theology of conspiracies?
1: Yeah, I think there very much is. I you could take this a couple different ways. Like one chapter, I kind of look at a biblical theology of conspiracies. So go from Genesis to as late as you want to go, and just see if there are there conspiracies that are being shown in the text, like between different you know characters in the story. So. First time the word appears is in the story of Joseph and his brothers, that his brothers conspired against him and to put him to death. They end up throwing him in the well. He gets out. They go back and they tell their dad that he's dead. And there's this whole theory. So kind of one of the things I do in it is I go look at that story and imagine if you were uh, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, who's the only one that wasn't in on the story. And imagine that Benjamin finds out that Joseph's alive and he tries to go tell Jacob his dad about it. What's Jacob gonna think? He's gonna think, dude, you're you're talking conspiracy theory. He's dead. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you kind of think about conspiracies and the way that a a story is believed and told, and then what's going on really the truth behind it, and you know, the Bible does that quite a bit. Um and go back to the the first real conspiracy, I think, is the conspiracy of uh, the Nahash in Genesis 3 against our parents. He conspired against God and against the human race to really to destroy us. And you can look at it both in the garden and then just after when he incites Cain to kill his brother. That actually gets into the giant story because you go to Enoch and you read that story with the watchers in Genesis 6. And It literally says that the 200 watchers came down and conspired together to um, be with women and, you know, do the deed that they did and whatever. So uh, scripture has a lot to say about this. Probably my favorite Old Testament story is uh, Saul and David and just their interactions constantly. And I like Saul because he's like the perfect character of a guy who is living in his head in conspiracy theories. He's creating conspiracy theories that David's out to get him all the time, right? And they're not true. They're totally not true. David's David's doing exactly the opposite. But Saul so he's he so projects himself into David that all he can see is himself because he knows that he's the one that's really conspiring to kill David. So he creates this whole thing that David's trying to kill him and. It's just fascinating just to think about Saul as, like, he's a conspiracy theorist, and look at where it got him.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. And I I think there's a lesson there that we can all learn, too. Do do you see that kind of attitude in in some Christians today, you know, in in reacting to some of these conspiracy theories?
1: I I think sometimes. um, I I think sometimes—one of the things that's important to look at is the kind of the history of the term itself. Right. So— we can go back to like the 1870s for kind of the origin of when conspiracy theory as a term was being used. And it actually, it was negative, but it wasn't pejorative. It wasn't like mean spirited. It was just, he's created a conspiracy and you move on uh, conspiracy theory, but something happened. Um, in fact, I got this scholarly book that just came in this week, um, about kind of the change of the, uh, way that the phrase was used between the 50s and the and the 80s, and that there was a deliberate attempt to change the way that people view the language conspiracy theory. So now, now that it, like it used to be cool, it used to be American to be a conspiracy theorist, like the British are coming, you know, that's a conspiracy theory. It's kind of who we are. And it wasn't ever viewed as a bad thing. In fact, in this book, she talks about how rational people of the enlightenment engaged in conspiracy theories it's like that was a good thing because you were using your mind and you were thinking but once the phrase becomes negative well now all of a sudden it's it's a thought stopper it's the exact opposite of thinking and so i think it's really important like when we start talking about how christians you know engage in conspiracy theories like yeah some people can get into a real rut like Saul, and maybe project things onto you know themselves onto other people or the world around them or whatever, and it can get themselves into trouble and the Bible has a lot of ethical things to teach us about that, but at the same time, honestly not engaging in conspiracy theories has its own uh, real problems
0: yeah that that's absolutely true, and that's something I've noticed as well because i've i've you know, when I look back on my life, I can see kind of how I've, uh, you know, bounced back and forth between the two extremes. And I, I think there's a good, like, you know, middle where where it, where it makes sense for us to be, you know, because it can conspiracies are real but conspiracy theories are just that they're theories so there there has to be an element of you know humility to to realize okay well we don't know for sure so we got to look at the evidence of any given thing and see what's likely and what's not and then we also have to you know be introspective and 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 kind of weigh out our own biases because there are some things that, you know, would be interesting if they're true or, or even some things that I would prefer to be true because it would make the world more interesting. But (laughs) does, does the evidence lend support to that? Or am I, am I seeing evidence where there might not be evidence because that would be my preference? And I I've noticed like when I, when I look back just in, like the way that I research now compared to the way that I researched when I first, when I very first started getting into this stuff is, is really different. Uh, because it it used to be before I kind of knew how to do any of this, it used to be, I would have, I would start, I would, I would basically start with a conclusion, you know, I would start with, Mm -hmm. all right, this, this is, this is interesting to me. Uh, so how, how do I work backwards and get, you know to there from where i am now uh and that's completely the wrong way i i i had I, I came up with so many false conclusions doing it that way and so uh you know the past few years kind of what i've what i've learned to do and it's it's you know some of it comes through from humility but re, but really just an honest search of the truth is is okay if i if i want to search out the truth I can be honest about my opinions and and you know I can be honest about my biases and preferences and uh, I can be honest about all that. But when it comes to actual research, I have to follow the research where it takes me, even if it takes me in a really boring area where it's like, oh, well, that's too bad. That would have been that would have been interesting if it was the other way. But it turns out it's most likely this way uh so have you what what has your process been like like how do, How do you kind of look at conspiracy theories when you're trying to weigh out what's what's likely what's unlikely or what's what's true or false
1: yeah great great question man um yeah i've thought a lot about how like when you get into some of the really more interesting conspiracy theories they they they're, they're like they're huge in yeah. terms of the m- amounts of arguments that they have and they all seem to like cohere together like this a and goes to b and b goes to c and and you get just like it goes a chain of a thousand things but eventually that last piece of chain goes back to a sometimes and you end up kind of just creating a circle so it's coherent and in so in the in philosophy uh there's there's different views of what truth is okay one of them is called the coherence view of truth and these people think that all that matters for something to be true is that it's coherent. It's internally non-contradictory. Mm-hmm. But there's a different view of truth, which is that called the correspondence view of truth, which is that, well, it's not enough. It it needs to be coherent. Yeah, but it's that's not enough. It's like it's not sufficient. It also has to correspond with reality. Right. <laughs> it has to be true, right? right? So like, that's a big thing because the because the draw of the coherence part of it, that's what's so fascinating. I mean, because you're putting together these puzzle pieces and one chain leads to the next and you just go, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. But at the end of the day, you still want to know if it's true or not, not just if it's exciting. And that's kind of what you just said. Like, when you when you get into this kind of world, you, you can't go into it with a pres, presupposition. And even when you're into it, you can't go into it with with this idea that okay, I can't be wrong. From here on out, I can't be wrong. You always have to be be willing to be falsified by the evidence, you know? Yeah,
0: definitely. And and what I, I've I've actually developed an appreciation for that because when I started researching the right way, I found out while sometimes this will take me to some, you know, kind of more boring places. Ultimately, it's it's still more exciting because there's always some place to go, and and you're you're more rooted in reality, and through that, it's more than just – because cause sometimes I'll indulge and I'll I'll say, well, it would be cool if you know, and I I do that a lot on my own show, and I do that in my books sometimes. Um, but but I always present it like that. Like I always present like, wouldn't it be cool if? Or you know, sometimes I would love to you know live in a world where this thing is possible. But I just don't know that we're living in that world. You know, right, and, right. And you know, sometimes it can be fun to just kind of you know have those conversations and want, wonder a, about some of these mysteries that you know the world uh, has to offer. But but for me, what I what I found there's 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 a freedom. There's a freedom in. Realizing like, okay, well, while that's interesting, I I don't know for sure. So I can't say, you know, for absolute sure. And that, that, that's okay. And, And that means that when, when evidence comes that, that might disagree with, you know, my, my what if theory, I'm not, I'm not. Fastened to that theory so hard that now I have to admit I was wrong about something uh, instead it's like okay if there's contradictory evidence that comes up then then I think all right well, I just gotta adjust my what if like for example with uh interpreting bible prophecy or something I mean there are so many different theories about like how things could play out and how you know what what theory might be right or what you know what interpretation might be right and i I used to think of it as if if you're not of this particular view, it, then you're almost like not even a Christian. You know, I was raised mm-hmm. really fundamental, like really like hardcore KJV only, pre-trib rapture, you you know, cessationist. Like that, that's how I was raised, and I, I was raised to believe that that if somebody didn't have those exact views on prophecy or on whatever, then they weren't real Christians, or there was something they they their their walk with Jesus was was messed up or something. And for a long time, I believed that I I don't anymore. So like on, on this show, we talk a lot about prophecy and stuff, but the way I handle it is look, we can look at the evidence and that, that might lean us one way or another, but there's a lot of evidence for a lot of different views. And it's a good idea to kind of just know sort of what they all are, but don't, don't hold so tightly to one that if something comes up, that contradicts that 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 you'll misinterpret it. So like you know, a common example is like um uh, pre-trib rapture and mark of the beast. So there there are there are some people that like say, okay, the rapture's pre trib it's got to be pre-trib. So whatever you see before that that resembles the mark of the beast isn't the mark of the beast. It, it's not. So people who are like pre-wrath or or uh, post-trib, they'll say well there's a danger there because if you're wrong about your rapture view and if the mark of the beast does come up then and you know this is all obviously within the futurist you, you know umbrella yeah, of, yeah. Of, but but if they say if that if that does come up you'll accept the mark not realizing it's the mark because you're still waiting for the rapture but then the pre-trib people would say, well, if you're wrong, then you're not really being, you know, prepared. The rapture could come take you at any time. And what if you're involved in some sin that you hadn't taken care of? You know, where's the urgency? So, I mean, there's a lot of that that back and forth stuff. For a while... Um, I, I bounced around in all these camps, but after a while I realized, you know what, any one of them could be right, or most likely they could all be wrong. Because we, when we look at how Jesus fulfilled prophecy the first time around, you know, 2,000 yeah. years ago, no one guessed it. I, I mean, no no one guessed it. No one had it right. So would it be unreasonable to assume maybe we're we're all of us have it wrong today too or at least a lot of it's wrong or or maybe maybe it's something where we all have a piece of the puzzle so you know i'll interview people like like brian Godawa. he's a partial preterist a really good friend of mine love him to death i had him on my show and we talked for about five and a half hours about just futurism versus uh, uh partial preterism and it was such a good conversation i loved it and um, and I, I thought I, I actually, I actually got some messages from, uh, viewers of mine that said, Hey, I became a partial preterist because of what Brian <laughs> had to say. And I was like, Hey, all glory to God. You know, if that brings you closer to Christ, that's amazing. Cause on this, on this side of fulfillment, who really knows Brian might be right. I might be right, but most likely we're both probably wrong. So, <laughs> so is there, is there in in your research, looking into conspiracies and you know how we as Christians should be approaching it, um, kind of keeping some, do you, do you think there's a freedom in keeping kind of some uh, ambiguity or, or is it, is it that we should kind of pick a lane and focus on the, uh, on the thing that, that, you know, we feel called to, or just how, how do we process all that?
1: A lot of things come to my mind. Um, You know, when I was writing the giant book uh, and looking at some of the guys that I written before, uh, mo- most of these guys take it to the second coming. Like, they want to deal with all this future stuff. Yeah, And I said, I don't want to do that at all. Like, I have some fun speculation in there. You know, the whole uh, genetic manipulation and DNA and the crossing of the serpent legs, all kinds of stuff. I that's fun to think about. But really, the point to, for me was to was to show people that there's a biblical storyline that has already been fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. So that what that allows me to do is that I don't have to have, you know, like— All my eggs in a basket in the future, in some idea that I had that I wrote about. And then what happens if it turns out that I'm wrong? I mean, this is actually a pretty concerning thing. I don't know if you, I don't know how old you are if you remember this, but I was a freshman in college in 1988. And this dude came out with this book, 88 Reasons Why Christ's going to Return in 88. Like, and during the weekend of Rosh Hashanah, I forget what it was. And like everybody was scared to death. And then it didn't happen right mm-hmm. so this guy 88 reasons i am certain it's going to happen so like this is the danger it doesn't happen then what do you do as a christian now you've you've really backed yourself into a corner and and how are you going to react to it in a moral way like are you going to repent of that are you going are you going to be sorry well he didn't he doubled down <laughs> he came out with a book the next year i was wrong by one thing 89 reasons why christ is going to come back in 89 like, that's not good. That's not how Christians are supposed to behave. And that's really, I mean, that's that's a real danger that people have when they're speculating about conspiracy theories, whether it's on a level of writing books and then becoming famous through it, or just personal in your own head. Like, you know, you start thinking about these, you talk about them with, with your friends, and this the, this has to be the way it is. And what happens when you're wrong? Are you, are you able to come back from that ledge that you were on, or are you going to just fall off the ledge into kind of a an oblivion of whatever happens in your mind, like the guy in the conspiracy theory movie, like, (laughs) you know, Jerry Fletcher, (laughs) he's completely bonkers. You know, he couldn't, couldn't come away from it of course that's got its own story but <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly that was something that i thought about early on too because i, I, I and I, I was four years old in 1988 but but <laughs> later on in life i i did you know hear about the book and and what happened uh, you know more recently harold camping was another one he predicted the rapture right, sure. and it didn't happen and and now he just faded into obscurity and nobody knows what happened to him but uh, but the, and that that kind of thing happens when when somebody holds too tightly to 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 an idea like that or to a prediction. And they base everything on that, on that one thing. And, you know, I think it's, it's fine to speculate because it's so, sometimes, you know, people that get caught up in this, they'll, they'll say, well, I'm just chasing the truth. It's, it's just the truth. I think a more truthful approach is kind of what I, what I've learned to do is just say, well, here's, here's the evidence that leads me to this conclusion. So in pure speculation, you know, based on this evidence, I think this is what's coming next. I could be wrong, but that that this is why I think that, like, for example, Derek Gilbert and I, host of Skywatch TV, we, we wrote a book a couple of years ago called the, the Day the Earth Stands Still. And this was right before, um, this was right before, uh, what was it, uh, uh, all, all that Pentagon stuff came out about UFOs. It, it was right. released a couple of months before that and it was also right before um uh trump uh said that you know jerusalem was the capital of israel and and, and confirmed that and then moved the embassy there to jerusalem and so th- this was about 2 or 3 months before that i was looking at and i still don't really know i you know i still don't this could have this this could have been a coincidence <laughs> but uh, i was looking at some of the patterns with uh you know big events in like ufo kind of history like and then mm-hmm. big events in Israel history. And some of them seemed to, they seemed to correlate. Don't don't know if they do, but they seem to actually correlate. There were some that didn't too. So that's got to be taken into account. But I, I wrote about it. And I, in that book, I said, all right, here here's what I think. And I could be wrong. But if this pattern actually holds true, then sometime, you know, at the end, end of, what was that, end of 2017, beginning of 2018... Um, if, I, if I've got the years, I have it in the book. But I, I said sometime around that time, we should see something big with UFOs and something big with Israel. No clue what it is, uh, but in that time frame, if this pattern holds up, that's when it should be and what happened. So the book came out two months later, right at the end of 2017 in, in December. Uh, that was when the both of those events happened in, in, in a really short amount of time to one another uh the 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 pentagon released all the this the stuff about ufo's and then the uh jerusalem you know embassy all all of that stuff so i was like oh wow now that wasn't a prophecy i wasn't prophesying that wasn't like god speaking through me in a prophet yeah. it wasn't anything like that but in the book i i didn't say this will happen i i said if this pa- if if i'm analyzing this pattern correctly and even then, even then, if this does happen, it still could be coincidence. But um, if this pattern, if there's something to this, then let's try it out. Let's make a prediction and see what happens. So I, I in the book, I said, you know, I, I, I would suspect something will happen. And that, and then it did. But even after that, I still maintain I could be wrong on that. That still could have yeah, been yeah. A, a coincidence, you know, but but it's one more piece of evidence for me to, to suggest that it's not a coincidence that there is something there. But, but still if now when i wrote that book if nothing happened if nothing happened, there would there would have been nothing to backtrack on because I was I I was trying to be more more truthful about my own humanity and just about you you know my my fallibility because I, I actually wrote in the book I could be way off on this you know I, I think I even wrote a line in there most likely nothing will happen because that <laughs> tends to be how these things play out uh, so there would have been nothing to backtrack on because there you know there was just a element of hey I could be wrong what I notice online. A lot is um, Christians who get and I'm kind of being general, not all Christians do this, but the ones that are really active online and share conspiracy stuff around. They'll have the attitude that this is absolutely correct. You're, mm-hmm. you're you're stupid if you don't believe it, or you're ignorant, or you're blind. And then they'll use a lot of these catchphrases, you know, wake up or sheeple right, or come right. out of Babylon. You know, there's like 50 of them that they'll use. They'll <laughs> use these catchphrases <laughs> and basically saying that like if you don't believe this thing, then you're just you're just stupid and wrong, and basically you're not really a Christian or you must not be a Christian. And they take they take that hard line, whereas. And the conspiracy itself, whichever one that they're promoting, it might be right, but the attitude around it to me is like it's so detestable. I don't even want to look into what they're what what they're trying to sell because it's it, the, the attitude around it is is terrible. Is there is there a way? I, like, is there a way that if, if there's because we want to be Watchmen, too, I mean, if there is danger coming, we want to warn people. So is there a way to do that where it doesn't totally alienate people and where people can accept the information, but but that also maintains some humility in, in saying like, well, I could be wrong on this, but also not downplaying the danger that might be coming if it's true. I mean, what, what's the proper way of, of expressing uh, conspiracy theories as a Christian?
1: So, I mean, this is kind of the way I end the book. Um, felt pretty strongly about the way I wanted to end the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh I, th- I think Josh, the way to the best way I think to answer that question is that you have to internalize your own conspiratorial nature. In other words, uh, so there's there's two two extremes. People that don't look for the truth at all, they just believe whatever they're told and then the people who like they they just go deep into the world of conspiracies and then like what you've just been talking about for the last few minutes those are very opposite views but both of them kind of have a similar problem which is they're not they're not internalizing their own conspiracy uh way of doing things in this world and what i mean by that is so there's one more great conspiracy in the scripture and it's really Psalm 2 uh the people and the rulers and uh, the kings and the nations, and I think that that I actually think that rulers there incorporates the heavenly beings. So I think he's got the whole deal. I think he's got you and me, ordinary people, rulers, nations, the whole groups, and then heavenly beings, everybody. And what are they doing? They're conspiring against the Lord and against His anointed. That's the language of the song, conspiring against Him. So you go to the New Testament, and you find out what happens in Jesus's life, and you see. Kind of three or four main events of the of the Pharisees conspiring against him so at that point it's just the it's just the religious leaders but by the time you get to the night where he's uh, you know betrayed and then uh, all his disciples leave him and uh, everybody goes against him and he's mocked and it's a monkey trial and then the next day well even the, even that same day there the whole crowds are yelling out give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas! Kill Jesus! You know, like what you have in that last event is a conspire, a, a conspiracy of the entire human race. If you want to look at it that way, everybody who was in Jerusalem is conspiring against him. And then Jesus ends up going to the cross so that he can die for our sins. And sins of what? Well, really, it's treason against him. Every time we sin, we're committing treason. We're conspiring against him. So. If we're not willing to internalize our own conspiratorial nature against God and against his Messiah, then I don't see that there's any I don't see how a Christian can can act faithfully in a world of conspiracy theories. But on the other hand, if they can stay humble in the midst of that and seek forgiveness from from the Lord for what they've done to him and internalize it, well, then guess what? He sends his Holy Spirit into our lives and he gives us the spirit who who can like so so some of the problems that people get into with these is like they start worrying a lot like they they obsess over these things um they become an end instead of a means uh some people get really angry about these things you know there's all kinds of these like malicious emotions that that rise up when we're not behaving properly in how we're dealing with the with the with the view and i think that the solution to that is really the it's really the armor of God and, and the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And the place that that starts is uh, with our own recognition of our sinfulness and, and seeking forgiveness from the only one who can give it to us.
0: Amen. I couldn't have said that better myself. This is the kind of thing that I like. Like, this is, I wish more conversations like this about these conspiratorial things uh, happened, especially online. Because, I mean, it's informative, it's fun, and, uh, you know, in in the end, no no one's getting angry or or upset at each other. I I think that kind of response is like a good Christian response to all this. The book is absolutely fantastic. And thank you again for uh, sending me a, a, a review copy of it. Uh, from what I've read so far, it, it's very well written. I highly suggest uh, my audience, you know, p- pick up the book. One, one more time, if they missed it in the beginning, um, where can they find you online? Where can they get the book?
1: So um, it's at Amazon. Dot com, or you can go to dougvandorn.com, com, and I'll try and get that information up in the next couple of days. And you can get it on Kindle, you can get it in paperback, and then I got a bunch of other books too that that you can check out if you're interested in uh, very normal subjects or if not quite so normal subjects. <laughs> you know, you just said something at the end there, Josh, about yeah. having fun, and I actually put that kind of at the end of the book. That look, life's too short to be angry and cantankerous, and and. Uh, Like, there's no reason this needs to be a taboo subject. So I want to kind of win the phrase back from what has happened to it and just make it something that it's okay to talk about again. It's the reason it's there's a reason I have a taboo subject in the subheading of this book, because it is and it's exactly what you just said. People, everybody's thinking about this subject and nobody's talking about it in a rational way, let alone a fun way where you can, you know, kid around and disagree and yet, hopefully something good and godly and, you know, Christ honoring can come out of it.
0: Amen. I totally agree with you. And I'm I'm right there with you in that effort. I, I love that. Thank you so much again, Doug, for uh, coming on the show. We're going to have to have you back on again. Maybe we'll talk about giants or something next time, but this has been an absolute blast. And uh, yeah, thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Josh. All right. Take care. God bless. <laughs> All right, hope you have enjoyed that. Now, we did ask Doug. I did ask Doug about uh, what he thinks on the whole Q movement. And we actually get into some really, really interesting conversation about uh, the Q movement. And his answer might surprise you. Uh, you. You might you might think he's a Q denier, but you'd, you'd, you'd be surprised. If you want the rest of the conversation, you're going to have to become a member. You're going to have to go to dailyrenegade.com and become a member today. Uh, it's only $10 a month or $100 a year, that helps us stay free from censorship. It helps us uh, house our own videos. Um, it helps us get out from under the boot of YouTube, which actually our main YouTube channel has been deleted. Most of you probably already know. So what you're view- if you're viewing this on YouTube, you're viewing it on our, our secondary backup channel, um, which doesn't nearly have the, the the reach that our first one did. But even our first one was getting heavily censored. Before it got deleted. Uh, so that's why we house everything at dailyrenegade.com. That is the place to go. Um, and like I said, it's only $10 a month or $100 a year. The $100 a year is definitely the way to go because then you get two months for free. You only got to pay for it once and you don't have to think about it for a whole other year. So what a great deal. So we do ask, uh, we do ask Doug about the Q movement and, um, he has some really interesting things to say I share a little bit of my insight but uh but, but really what Doug has to say is great. So, if you want to check out the rest of that, head on over to dailyrenegade.com, become a member, click in the members section, find this episode and you can watch. Uh so for everybody viewing for free, uh thank you so much. Members hang on the line. Everybody else, thank you so much for viewing. Make sure to subscribe, follow us online at our various platforms. You can find us everywhere. We are everywhere. Uh, so, Uh, Again, members, hang on the line. Everybody else, thank you so much. And until next time, take care and God bless.